Real Presence Live. It's this really powerful sense of, okay, you're seen, you're known, you're missed if you're not here. Local. It's that good crop of corn or beans or wheat or whatever it is that you do that, you know, you grow it, you grow it to the Lord, and if it doesn't come about, you just have to be patient and say, well, there's always next year. Engaging. Evangelization is the fruit of the love of God being poured into the hearts of Jesus' friends. Live. This is our charism, to be witnesses of Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. Praise be the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Welcome to another edition of Real Presence Live here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Father James Gross, a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, coming to you today from our studios in the near Southside Historic District in beautiful downtown Grand Forks. And joining me here live in the flesh in studio, my priestly classmate, my brother, Father Jason Leffer. Good morning. Good morning, Father Gross. Only the second time in, I think, like eight weeks that I've made it to the big city. and you know you're opening there the stress is on beauty that's coming up in the program today later on but man isn't it gorgeous today we have some lovely tree-lined streets in this older neighborhood uh, in the city and this is the time of the year that people just live for yes absolutely hitting the uh hitting the yard work and uh uh hitting her hard and and turning that page from spring to summer so before we go any farther if you could uh, do us the honor of leading us in prayer this morning father in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen god our father in heaven we praise you We worship you, we adore you, we glorify you. Heavenly Father, we are very conscious of uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, seated at your right hand in glory this day, interceding for all of humanity and for us personally, at your right hand of power and authority. Heavenly Father, we are very conscious of being one with you now in Christ Jesus. We are very conscious of your response to Christ's intercession for us at your right hand your response of the Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, the divine spirit coming down upon us uh, in all things, shining your glory upon all of humanity. Uh, This day especially, uh, preparation for the spirit of wisdom, uh, the fullness of wisdom, the height of all the gifts. Um, As St. Paul says, put on the mind of Christ. And so we, we are aware of your ways, Heavenly Father. We desire your ways to be our ways that are, we would receive the mind of Christ, to see as you see, to think as you think, um, to understand as you understand. And so we open ourselves up completely as we we hear the gospel go over the airwaves this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we we would always be one with you in all things, never be separated from you in this time of the Great Novena, and the, the excitement, the anticipation of Pentecost and the Divine Spirit. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father, for getting us started on the right foot here. Later this morning, we'll be visiting with a, uh, a real-life seminary professor joining us from Ohio to talk about living the mystery of marriage. We'll also talk to a transitional deacon of the Diocese of Fargo and uh, a lady from the Diocese of Fargo talking about witnessing to her faith in the midst of the pandemic and all of the craziness that's been going on here. But in these first few minutes, Father, let's uh, explore some things things that are happening, at least in the church or in the world, uh, just kind of take a whirlwind tour of some different things that are going on. You know, d- how does it strike you that they entrust us with some airtime? I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit nervous here that we will, <laughs> that we will guide the listeners on, on the right path here, but I think 
you know, Father Gross, as you at Daily Mass, you brought up, I think today, I don't know that the listeners are aware of the feast day behind the Great Novena. What, what's that? Who yes. is it that we are celebrating today? There is a recently uh, canonized saint, uh, Pope St. Paul VI, whose uh, memorial is today, the 29th of May. He was born Giovanni Battista Montini <laughs> in uh, a town east of Milan in the uh, foothills of the Italian Alps in northern Italy, was ordained a priest at the age of 23. Uh, so he was born in 1897, ordained in 1920, and spent uh, the bulk of his priestly career in Rome working in the Secretariat of State, doing some teaching, some diplomatic work uh, as a chief of staff in the papal household, was named Archbishop of Milan, which um, at one time was the single largest Catholic diocese in the world in terms of population, uh, served there as Archbishop for nine years, and really was known for um, his uh, scriptural scholarship and his desire to reawaken the faith in a city that was something of a sleeping giant, you might say, in his um, estimation during the time that he was there. Uh, a city with a great uh, pedigree and tradition, but not very fervent in terms of uh, religious expression. And when uh, Pope St. John XXIII passed away in 1963, uh, Cardinal Montini was elected to become Pope um, and took the name Paul VI. And so he shepherded the Second Vatican Council through its final two years and helped guide the church with a steady hand at the helm during the course of those remaining years of his life until he passed away um, at the age of 80, uh, nearly 81, in uh, the summer of 1978. And when you think about that time, now, Father, you and I are uh, basically of the same vintage. We would have been born during the time of his pontificate and very, very small. So it's not like we have the same kinds of personal childhood memories of him that we would have of John Paul II. My, my memories kick in the the year of 1978, the three, sure. year of the three popes. That uh, I was eight years old, and, and it's because of my grandmother. My grandmother's reaction to the death of Paul VI, the election of a new pope, his death, she thought it was the end of the world two popes dying in one year and then and then suddenly um this polish pope that came in so those moments are burned in my my little brain. tiny brain from back then and yes and carl wojtyla yeah. was the first non-italian pope in some four centuries so yes you know, and th so there's probably as we think about saint paul uh the sixth here we there's probably like three things that we should at least mention and touch on one mm -hmm. was his penchant for evangelization he was huge on that you know to the i mean he's the one who really uh focused right. on that. Uh, yep, his uh, encyclical Evangelii Nunciandi became very required reading in seminary. A absolutely. And then also on Sacred Scripture, the document on Sacred Scripture, which he got, you know, he was pushing behind that. Um, a uh, day verbum at Vatican II, you mean? Yes. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the very controversial, but very thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, um, his document on contraception. Yes, Humane Vitae, which was released in July of 1968. And at this time, certainly culturally, which wouldn't be so surprising, but in addition, uh, surprisingly, among academics within the church, there was a strong push to follow the lead of numerous other Protestant denominations in relaxing rules with regard to, you know, artificial contraception and various things like that. And uh, Pope Paul VI uh, surprised many people by the issuing of this document where he stood firm and he said, no, this is built on lasting fundamental truths about the human person and human dignity, which cannot change. And I I, I've heard someone refer to his 
pontificate at that stage as something of a white martyrdom because of the uh, suffering that he endured because of that bold move. Let's also think about the liturgical experimentation that was going on in so many different places. Um, you know, just the upheaval, the, 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 the sacrilegious acts of, you know, whitewashing churches, you know, removing sacred art and things like that. Um, you know, when, when you go to various rural parishes and you see a lot of the, you know, various high altars and other sorts of expressions of artwork intact from the time that they had been built 100 or 150 years ago, that's a testament to the locals basically uh, announcing to whoever would listen, you know, you're not changing this place in the inside. And uh, you, you think of all of the all of the turbulence. Then also think about uh, religious life in the consecrated life. How many uh, communities of men and women, you know, what an exodus there was of people who probably in many cases didn't properly discern what their true vocation is, and uh, you know, came to a realization that God was calling them to a different life. But you know, suddenly you had this emptying out of uh, many places, which in the mid-20th century probably would have been hitting the peak of membership. So there were all of these crosses that Pope Paul VI, during the time of his uh, service, had to bear. You know, so, like, man, that you have just, you have, that's, oh, all these things. Hitting those big general topics, I mean, thoughts that come to me so and and i i just want to say i don't want to sound arrogant in all of this as though you know like with hindsight being 2020 you know i would have acted completely different if i'd have been oh, in those not, previous generations i, so, so I just want to <laughs> clarify that for our listeners i did not pick about any arrogance <laughs> at all i just i heard a, an encyclopedic list of the condition and just describing what was going on so mm -hmm. taking that first topic evangelization so right so from my again my little perspective that i have i look at that and say up until this moment of his pontificate it's like the church actually was evangelizing the world through religious orders and stuff going out and it's what's so ironic about that is him him really pressing it and bringing it to the forefront through the council and different things and we were saying we're owning it and claiming it and in a beautiful way, and then all of a sudden, but the then the response to it was like somehow the religious orders, the evangelical religious orders, going out, kind of dying or coming to an end. Or so on the one hand, you have this new zeal for it, but then in a certain way, it's it's like I don't know if you say the the spirit of the evil one or whatever, but it just like it's almost like this big blanket came on evangelization in the actual lived experience of it through religious orders. And but there's an emphasis now on the laity you know, evangelizing. So there, there was a whole transition that you described beautifully there, that. Mm -hmm. um, then sacred scripture, here's another one. Like, you know, we Catholics, we always get bludgeoned with like, you know, we don't know the Bible, we don't know this or that. But I always tell people, yeah, but if you're faithful to the mass, you might not be able to give, give chapter and verse. But it, all you have to do is mention the passage or something and start saying it like, hey, I, I've heard that like 50 times in my life. I know that story. I know what that's about. Okay, but he beautifully brings sacred scripture to the forefront. And again, it's, it's one of these things where there's this renewal of sacred scripture and the word and so forth. But then almost it's it's like the, the voice of the world becomes stronger than mm -hmm. sacred scripture time. Again, this upheaval kind of thing as this new life is being injected, there's this darkness that descends too. So likewise, coming to the the papal commission on studying the whole concept of uh, um, contraception and fertility. And again, his own commission 
came back, there was these quote experts on that commission, they came back with a uh, recommendation that he approve uh, contraception. And I, th there's a lot of people say that it was actually Carol Waitiwa who's in the background of writing Humane Vitae and being the one kind of whispering in Pope Paul VI's ear about what it was about. But that document w is so prophetic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it yes. comes down. And it shocked the world. I mean, to the point where so many theologians had already prepared people that this is the way the church was going to go, the contraception is yeah. going to be okay. And so there was almost like this moral and spiritual revolt against the word, the pr very prophetic word of Paul VI when he, when he issued that encyclical, right. which now you and I, we, you go read it now. It's so simple. It's a beautiful document. Yes. It's easy to comprehend. And you look at it and say, oh my gosh, everything that he said has come true. What people thought were histrionics in terms of his predictions, you can look at and say, yep, he was very prescient in terms of saying what would unfold in the culture in terms of the, uh, you know, the mistrust, the animosity between man and woman and, you know, all of these other, uh, you know, poisonous effects of so a contraceptive lifestyle. What's so interesting about this then is basically, um, you know, not to cast aspersions on everybody, but mm -hmm. the mainline Protestant from this perspective of contraception has really gone down the dark road and and opened up the door and saying, you know, it's led to anything goes now. In a certain way, the Catholic Church has remained the lone voice in the darkness saying, consider your dignity, O oh man. And then if you look around the Catholic Church, there's there's these little voices of little churches coming up or little lay movements coming up or whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. who are also in the shadows. And they're the ones who are kind of the little lights in the darkness spreading throughout the world saying, remember your dignity, O oh man. You're creating the image and likeness of God. And exactly. th this is not a little thing. This is not, I mean, from the very beginning, original sin happened where Satan attacks the woman and the fruit that's conceived in her womb to try to prevent, you know, yeah. the conception of, of the Christ, the, right. the, the Savior, and it has never stopped. It's yeah. So we yeah. are very pleased to be able to uh, call upon Pope St. Paul VI intercession today. Speaking of canonizations, beatifications, and the like, there was an announcement this past week that the Vatican is prepared to beatify Father Michael J. McGivney, if that name is familiar to you. He is the American priest who founded the Knights of Columbus. And uh, just a brief word or two about him, you know, when you think of the providence of God situating him in New England, his, uh, you know, home base was New Haven, Connecticut. He went to Canada to uh, study uh, theology and, and uh, came back ordained as a priest. He only lived to the age of 38, uh, died in the year 1890. But when you think about the, the historical background in the colony of Massachusetts in the 17th century, uh, for a considerable amount of time, it was illegal to be a Catholic and live in Massachusetts. And then in the early to mid 19th century, we all know the stories about the Irish potato famine, various other things, but all of these different ethnic groups from various parts of Europe are flooding in and the gateway is Ellis Island and there's establishing themselves in the Northeast, well, you have a real clash of civilizations in a sense where you have these new people who are wanting to live out you know, their American dream and to be faithful Catholics, they're not wanting to begrudge or take away something from the, you know, friendly Episcopalian or Methodist down the block, but they're wanting to live that out and they were finding it very difficult. So one of the things that Father McGivney did in informing this group, Knights of Columbus, you know, it's not just as some societal equivalent of the Moose Lodge or whatever. It's a means of engaging these men in the most important parts of who they are as Catholics to invest in their families in the future. You know, you can talk 
talk about the tremendous life insurance, you know, benefits that are available through Knights of Columbus and all of the rest of it. But you really look at what an important chapter that is in helping the Catholics, especially newly arriving in the United States, to establish themselves and carry out their their vocation of holiness. You're listening to 1370 AM. Well, that's our station, but it's the it's the Real Presence Radio Network. Yes. Um, this is Real Presence Live with Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer. We have the privilege of you being able to listen to our ramblings this morning, <laughs> which Father Gross and I, we stimulate each other um, in, in conversation when we get together. And so right. we, we're never short on, on Gab. And yeah. hopefully it's it's interesting, Gab. Now, one of my favorite stories about Father Michael McGivney is this. So, th- th- and this, I think this encapsulates why he's a saint. So, he that Irish potato family, he looked. Now, there, there was still um, slavery um, at when he existed. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened with the, the Irish people were... Um, there was jobs and so forth that, and I know this sounds terrible, but people didn't want to quote waste their slaves on because slaves were expensive. Okay, I know that sounds terrible, but that was the reality they were mm-hmm. living in. The Irish immigrants that were coming in were considered lower than the slaves, and they were considered disposable. So, so a lot of the men, the Irish men, would go and do these jobs, and they would end up getting sick or dying from the labors that they were doing these terrible jobs. And so you ended up with a lot of widows and orphans, Irish widows and orphans. Okay, so here comes Father Michael McGivney. He sees this situation. So watch what he does. So he looks at it first, and he says, oh my gosh, look at all these widows and orphans. He literally goes out and starts taking in all these orphans personally to try to take care of them. He quickly discovers... I'm not big enough to, to handle this solution. And as a result, he looks for a, a, a bigger solution for it, and he ends up developing the world's largest insurance agency, which takes care of widows and orphans, which, which through now his relationship with these, these men, their spiritual concerns and so forth, the end result then is the, the largest um, benevolent society in, in the whole world. And it's, it's the largest single contributor to the Catholic charities throughout the world every year mm-hmm. and so there there there's the life of a saint behind it he sees a real need and this larger thing blessed by the holy spirit comes about because right of it. the united states canada poland the philippines there are various places throughout the world where the knights of columbus are really growing so it wasn't something that was held within just the american experience although patriotism is really the mark of the fourth degree of the knights of columbus but yeah that that wide-ranging service so uh, another thing I'd like to bring, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about St. Paul VI, about the liturgical experimentation that was going on. Yeah. I, I want to take one of those and tie it into what, what we're currently in, which is the preparation for Pentecost, coming of the Holy Spirit, the octave of the Holy Spirit. So there's this famous story about, so Pope Paul VI was there during the liturgical reforms that were going on um, after Vatican II. We say after Vatican II because they were, they were declared in the documents of Vatican II, but then really the stuff happened post-Synodal. Yes. That's really where the, a lot of things took place. So it was the, it was, um, the day after Pentecost, it was Monday after Pentecost Sunday. Pope Paul VI showed up in his private chapel to say Mass, and he was dressed in red. Be, and, and the reason being, uh, just like uh, we, always, we have the Easter Vigil, which is the great solemnity of all solemnities for Catholics, and then you have the Octave of Easter, which happens mm-hmm. after that, celebrating the resurrection of the second person of the Trinity, incarnate Jesus Christ. Well, modeled after the third person of the Trinity, you have the Vigil of the Holy Spirit, and then you have the 
octave of the Holy Spirit, which would be the next eight days after Pentecost Sunday. It's, it's, it was always red because mm-hmm. every day was celebrated for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He comes down to his chapel, he's dressed in red, and everything's prepared for him, and it's all green, which means ordinary time. Yeah. And, and his uh, attendant there said, oh, Holy Father, you're wearing the wrong color. He said, what do you mean wrong color? This is the octave of the Holy Spirit. He says, and he says, no, 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 it's, it's now with liturgical reform, it's now ordinary time you need to vest in green and he looked at me <laughs> he said, had to roll with the punches and, too. And, and he looked at him and said <laughs> like anyone he said who who has done this who has made such a decision who has done this and and as the tenant said well you did holy father you signed the document this is the and it's he had he had this incredible sorrow and and it, this is now pope benedict the 16th he didn't legislate anything here but what he said he said, look, let's trust the Holy Spirit. We really need to reclaim this. We need to bring it back. And he said, we really need to stress having the vigil of the Holy Spirit, Feast of Pentecost. And he said, how we can do this is we look at the calendar and, you know, you have options for each day. And he really stressed that first eight days up until the Feast of Holy Trinity, that's yes. next Sunday, mm-hmm. that, that you, you, you take all the optional liturgies for the Holy Spirit, which there are eight of them, if you go through the different places and take each day and and celebrate take the color red celebrate the holy spirit in each one of those days to kind of like reclaim this uh the octave of the holy spirit and so um and i I know as i talk about this i i sincerely doubt that many of our listeners have ever even heard of this or even know but it's it's so very important i mean again we only have limited time here but if you look at that easter vigil and you look at the vigil of the holy spirit how they line up so beautifully how pentecost is the fulfillment of the revelation Mm -hmm. of the son of god and revealing the father to us and then even if you look at that octave of the holy spirit you could even you could even just look at the readings that are represented at the vigil yeah and then then why don't we speak of that uh, specifically because on saturday evening tomorrow night you may notice if you're attending mass for the sunday obligation that there is the option of using a variety of different i believe there are four different old testament readings and it replicates that um posture you might say of the easter vigil liturgy where you have the uh you know the the reading the psalm and the prayer and you know this kind of walking through things of salvation history so people might be unaware of that they might be thinking well it's going to be a saturday like any other so i know that there are numerous parishes i think our uh, parish uh, holy spirit in fargo you know makes a big deal of that kind of as its patronal feast but you know really treats that vigil in that extended way which is allowed but people may not be aware that you know those readings are laid out and you know what's that all about you know and so then even picking on we catholics like i said earlier we are always accused of not really knowing sacred scripture or whatever and so a lot of pe- i know in, in in my my own priesthood as pastor i've always emphasized this or tried to help educate and bring it about slowly in the parishes where i've been understand this year i'm not going to be able to do that because i have to live stream that 5 p.m liturgy on Saturday for Sunday. It, it, it just, it, and I'm by myself, my, my setting here because of the COVID, so I really don't have the option to do it. Um, but what happens, so, you know, when you first introduce this and people hear, what? There's more readings. What? We're going to yeah. do all these readings and all these prayers and psalms. And <laughs> Father, it's definitely going to be longer than an hour. How are we going to get out of here? And, and so it really does take. Yeah time, education, introduction to people, and helping them get connected to, to how the Holy Spirit comes through the Word of God. And I think, but once people, once they see it, make the connections, they really do come alive. They really do come alive with these things. But 
it takes patience, it takes time, it takes understanding, and it takes real practical kind of thing. And I, mm-hmm. you know, if there's mm-hmm. any brother priests out there, I just say, pray to the Holy Spirit and see if the Holy Spirit's convicting you to actually introduce this to your parishes for the sake of the lay person, for the sake of the lay person that they would come to have a living relationship with the third person of the Trinity. Right. And, you know, the um, introduction, you might say it's an introduction to this teaching on the vigil, because what happens on Pentecost Sunday is, of course, the reading from chapter two of Acts with the descent of the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, various other things like that. So it is like kind of a walking through salvation history. There's that hymn that's in the our office of readings with the line, defeat our babble with your Pentecost, where we hear about Genesis chapter 11 and the pride of the people in trying to build a tower that would reach to heaven, and how at Pentecost it's repairing that division that was caused because of the arrogance of the people. Um, just And just really quickly here, you know what I really want to stress to the people who are listening right now, because a lot of, and again, we Catholics were famous again for being accused of not knowing the Holy Spirit or having real healthy relationship with him. This is what I want to communicate to you who are listening right now. What the Holy Spirit does is he brings to us the living relationship of the Father and the Son. He, he, he brings to us divine sonship. He brings to us the divine nature, which that's the last thing Jesus told us about before he went to the Father. Know your inheritance. I no longer call you slaves. I call you my friends because everything the Father has given me, I now give to you. Remember, know your inheritance. What is your inheritance? the divine nature itself. That Holy Spirit is communicating to us the height of glory, which is the divinity, the divine nature itself. And so, people, it's essential that we come to know the Holy Spirit, become comfortable with Him, mm-hmm. and, and un- understand everything that Holy Spirit... Right. And it's all about the Father and the Son and divine sonship, the family mm-hmm. of God. And it's such beautiful stuff. Yeah, maybe you're hooping and hollering when you're in the Holy Spirit, maybe not, but either way, you know, <laughs> it's an important celebration. We look forward to this celebration in the church. Now, Father, you'll recognize the name Cardinal Robert Serra, uh, a uh, bishop originally from the African country of Guinea, who has been in Rome in the last few years, and he is the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, uh, one of the congregations that makes up the Roman Curia. He has uh, become a pretty pr- uh, prominent uh, author, and there is a book that I'm working my way through, which is just splendid. The title of it is The Day is Now Far Spent. It's sort of reco- recalling the message of the um, disciples as they're on their way to Emmaus and trying to convince, to convince Jesus to stay with them and not to continue on his pilgrimage. You know, the day is now far spent. So it's sort of a reflection on his own life and, and his um, uh, teachings. And so it's a collaboration with uh, journalist Nicholas Diot. Uh, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that last name correctly. But anyway, he submitted a number of questions about various topics. And uh, um, Cardinal Sarah wrote out uh, responses that draw heavily from various documents, especially speeches and encyclicals from Pope St. John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, to a lesser degree, Pope Francis, because there isn't as much of a body of work there. But um, at the same time, he's very conversational in his way of uh, answering these questions. He said something pretty profound here that I think is going to um, focus our attention very well in our next conversations when we look at the mystery of marriage, uh, the family, and uh, living out to that domestic church. He says, I think that the family is an institution that is utterly unbearable to the devil. Because it is par excellence the place of love and gratuitous self-giving, it arouses his hatred and violence. Even more profoundly, the union of father, mother, and child is a trace of the fruitful unity of the divine trinity. Through families, the devil tries to profane the trinitarian unity. 
Above all, he wants to deprive innocent children of, a, of love and a happy childhood. In destroying families, the one who is a murderer from the beginning does nothing but reenact the massacre of the holy innocents. Because God made himself an infant, the innocence of every child has become unbearable to him because it reflects the very innocence of God. It is therefore urgent to defend and support families. This is not only a moral duty, it is part of the spiritual combat. It is necessary to help spouses love each other faithfully their whole life long. They bear the image of God's very own fidelity to his people, and particularly to the most vulnerable and to the children. So the style of Cardinal Sarah, end of quote. So the style of Cardinal Sarah's writing, it almost reminds me of a, of a boxer who goes into the ring and is throwing haymakers, right? You know, but he's not fighting just for the purpose of fighting. You know, he's fighting the good fight, but is speaking very forcefully. And, and you know, I, I was just struck by that, that message and the way that he delivered it. Uh, it. It's just absolutely powerful. I mean, it tied in with everything here with Pope uh, St. Paul VI and uh, contraception and original sin. There. He, he got right to the heart of the thing there, which is Satan wants to destroy from the beginning the the relationship of the man and the first of all, the man and the father break that, then the man and the woman, and especially to destroy the fruit of the womb, and any fruit of the womb that comes forth to to destroy that. And he he said it there beautifully. Couldn't have been yeah. said. Any so better. as I've been thinking about various things, you know, reading materials uh, for those of us who maybe aren't as busy in the summer as other times in the year and are looking for things, I heartily recommend this book entitled "The Day Is Now Far Spent" by Cardinal Robert Sarah, um, in conversation with Nicholas Diaz. So it is a, a compilation between the two, and uh, is a great a great resource. Whether you're you know, no matter who you are, priestly, and as a way to wrap this up. Two things. Another great resource would be Ignatius Press has. They hold a, a, a wonderful family movie about Saint Paul the Sixth. Mm-hmm. So check that out on their website. You can get a, get a hold of that. And your reflection there, Father Gross, is a perfect transition uh, for the next segment in the right. show, There's, which is going to come up. Yep. So. There's a lot great, a lot of uh, great content to come. And up next, living the mystery of marriage. What does this mean exactly? Stay tuned to find out. This and much more from Father Leffer and Father Gross here in Grand Forks on Real Presence. Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. <laughs> 